expressed are not necessarily those of this radio station, its advertisers, or sponsors. Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Bert Deister. Good morning. Welcome to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It. Happy Saturday. It's uh, fall, but it's hot. It's hot. I'm not happy. Move past it. Two weeks ago, we were talking about brewing lagers. I was wearing a coat in the studio, and now we're here. I know. I just want to start wearing pants again instead of just shorts every day. Then again, when we get to spring, I get excited about shorts. It's it's the turning of the seasons. Jeremy White, Bert Teister with here uh, here on Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. All right, so the last couple weeks... We've kind of deviated a little bit. Yeah, so we promised a beer topic yes. this week before we go on to cider next week. We did some specialty shows. We did gluten-free beer. Yep, that was We did it. pumpkin beer. Yep. And the Wine. My, yeah. We did wine. Wine. So, all right. So now we're getting into some meat of some brewing stuff, so stick with us for a moment. Uh, but before we do that, anything going on at the store people need to know about? What's uh, this time of year Good for whether it's a party well, we're kegs. Really into winemaking season. Okay, now, which is why we did the winemaking show. And so, if you have, you know, fruit in the backyard, you've been telling yourself, "Oh, I always want to make wine." This is the time of year. It's a seasonal thing. It's like saying that, "Oh, I want to get into football," but you're going to decide to do it in March. Bad time to get into you okay. know, watching football right. in March. So, if you want to get into winemaking, if you want to get into cider making, now is the time of year. So harvest that fruit, and like we talked about in the winemaking episode, put it in the freezer if you want to, and you can save it for a little bit later, preferably not all the way till March. But if you're ready to go, we have all the stuff in stock. And if you're ready this year to start making it, we can help you get there. And one other thing I should mention, we might have a specialty show coming up in a couple of weeks, maybe a cider show in the next couple of weeks once yeah. we get to October. You guys are good on that too. If you wanted to make cider, everything you need for that. You got it. It's all the same equipment, plus we have all the specialties, additives, and equipment for processing apples. So we have the universal stuff that goes with beer and wine making, but we also have all the specialty equipment for making cider and wine. We have grape crushers, we have apple crushers, we have fruit presses, we have distemmers, um, everything that you need to kind of mechanize the process and we have the know-how <clears throat> if you don't want to mechanize the process if you want to keep it simple we can teach you how to do that too okay uh cryo hops still rolling along but you guys have galaxy back in stock yes and nelson selvin back in stock no pounders there's still limits um but we still have it three dollars an ounce if you want to come pick up some galaxy to add into your next beer come on in all right and i'm seeing on here for monsters new accessories are these yes. accessories specifically for for monsters and, yes and I, I think it goes to if we could kind of do a recap of the for monster so i i bought one immediately and i love it it's the greatest thing you ever it. It, it's been i i've bought other kind of niche fermenters before and if anybody's been in this hobby for 10 years you've seen several niche fermenters come in and out um i still love my ferment for monster um, I have had some fermenters that I bought. I've used for one or two batches, and they're still sitting in the basement. My V vessel would be, I think, a one batch fermenter, mm-hmm. um, just because it was it was so much of a headache. It was so hard to get it to seal um, and get it to mount that I ended up moving on after one or two batches. Um, but the Fermonster, if it's available, I use it for beer, I use it for wine, I use it for my lagers, I use it for my ales. But there have been a couple of complaints. Uh, and the biggest complaint is because the material of the lid and the material of the better bottle are different. They expand at different rates. And so what tends to happen is when you lock the lid on at the beginning of the fermentation, you have some trouble getting it off at the end. 
um, because it's kind of shrunk onto the top of the Fermonster. So what they've come out with, and a couple of people have been hitting them with hammers, and that definitely is not in your instruction manual for the Fermonster. And so a couple of people have cracked their lids. Not only do they now carry replacement lids um, for under $5, you can get replacement gaskets for under $2, and we have both of those in stock. And they also make a wrench for the lid of the Fermonster. So if you're having some trouble turning in, if you're trying to do it with one hand while you're holding your like racking tube, they now make a nice wrench that you lock onto the top of the Fermonster and will kind of give you that spots you need to kind of get a good turn on it. Okay. Uh, and so we have those in stock as well. But overall, I think everybody's really loving the Fermonsters. Um, with serious beer brewers, we probably sell more Fermonsters than a five-gallon bucket. And I think that's saying something. Because when the Fermonster came out, I said it was never going to replace the five-gallon bucket. And lo and behold, it looks like it might be replacing the five-gallon bucket. Okay. Party kegs also. Party kegs. Are these want, coming back? They're kind of coming back in style a little bit with home brewers. Oh, I mean, party keg is, when you say that, it's, it's the... It's a four-liter stainless or uh, coated aluminum keg. So it's the thing you used to be able to buy. You still probably can at, like, a consumer's or a grocery store. Like, I think about Heineken in these Yeah, ones. I think of Bubba Beer. Okay. I think of the, the ones that were painted or silkscreened to look like Don Cherry's tuxes. Okay. You know yeah, what I yeah. mean? So they had Molson Canadian and, like, you know, Molson Golden in them for a while. Um, and so what you would do is you're basically buying two pitchers of beer. You would take it home. It has a little pop tab on the bottom, and you would drink the two pitchers of beer. But it would be like having a growler. Uh, you're not putting any CO2 on top of it. However, there are some kits now and a lot of, we'll say, proprietary units to, um, that push them out with CO2. And I think of the Heineken kegs. So they have that same body, that same 4-liter stainless steel body, um, and they have a whole big kegging system that you can get around it. That you put the whole thing in the refrigerator, and now you have a little mini kegerator. Um, we sell these. Um, we had uh, kind of a, some issues getting some of the parts for a while. The company making the stoppers um, wasn't making them for a short while, so uh, we had to find a new source on that. But we have every, all the parts are back in stock. So for home brewers, a lot of people always ask us, can we reuse like the Heineken kegs or some of the, like the Bitburger kegs or stuff like that? Usually, sadly, no. They put a proprietary seal on the top for their kegging system, and it's usually a puncture valve, meaning that there's, you know, two kind of diaphragms that when you hook it up to the kegerator, it pierces those diaphragms, and now you can't reuse the seal. Um, the ones that we sell have reusable seals, and you don't need a kegging system to use them. Um, so some of our um, employees who don't have kegging systems yet and clean 55 bottles every time got their hands on these and they've been loving them. Um, because if you want to do a whole batch, you don't have a kegging system, you are only bottling five of these. Or say if you want to take some beer to a gathering, you don't want to you know, bring a whole case, just bring one party keg. Um, you simply put the beer in just like you would a bottle um, with carbonate, you know, carbonation uh, sugar, and in two weeks, voila, you have a little cask-conditioned keg of beer. has a little built-in tap on the bottom. It does have the disadvantage of the growler that you do have to drink it all in once. But getting into, you know, uh, football season, getting into tailgate season here, if you can brew up a couple of these and set them aside, you're going to have 
kind of two growlers or, you know, a full, you know, two pitchers of beer that you can take with you whenever you want. You simply set it up someplace upright, let it settle for a minute so that all the sediment sinks back down to the bottom and pour off the tap on the bottom. So it's a great alternative to a kegging system if you really don't want to get one. Um, but they're cheap, they're easy to clean, and they store a lot of beer. So if you're trying to get your homebrew into a large vessel, you've been trying to use growlers, but they have the tendency to leak. The one-gallon jugs and flip-tops have the tendency to break. This is a nice alternative. And so they're kind of coming back into style. And we have all the parts. Um, we have the kegs in stock, brand new. They're only $13 a piece. So if you want to get into one of these, they're cheap, they're easy, and they're going to be a big convenient, and it'll make you really popular at parties. All right. Well, that's good that those are coming back. And, I mean, it's versatility i guess is like the big key right like you've got, you got it. you've got options yeah and you can always fill it like a growler too i right. have a couple i have a kegging system um so i just fill them like a growler bring them to the other end and pour them out again the only disadvantage is without those kind of you know all-in-one like uh, snap-on co2 systems which can get really expensive and usually use like the 8 or 16 gram co2 cartridges it is kind of like a growler once you open it you want to drink it all Okay. Let's take a break now and get back into what we're going to get into. We've got starters, making a starter. Uh, we've, Like we said, we've done the, kind of the specialty shows, and this is, I think of all the things you talk about it, like making your beer take the next step, this is like one of your top three. Like yeast. This is a big Always deal. Always yeast. And, yeah. and when it comes to a starter, it's the best thing you can do yeah. for your yeast. All right, so we'll get to that on the other side. It's Niagara Traditions Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520 for our uh, beer-heavy Folks listening to the show, you're about to get a crash course in making a starter and why it is so important. That's up next on Niagara Traditions. Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supplies. 1296 Sheridan Drive, near Military, in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays, 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. All right, welcome back to Niagara Tradition's Just Brew It, here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Bert Deister, and a good old-fashioned, but uh, at the start of your beer process your brewing process making a starter yes. so first off let's do why it's important because we probably have plenty of brewers listening that are I mean, the novice or the entry-level people that haven't really done this all that often if at all yeah and really. if you've if you've been just starting brewing you've been doing box kits you're getting dry yeast, which is great um you're getting 250 billion cells ready to go um and you're really kind of overloading the beer which is what you want to do um when we put the yeast in, they're going to go through a couple of generations, but really that first generation, um, if you don't have enough cells, they're going to get stressed. They have to do more work. They have to consume more sugar, where if you have a lot of cells going in, they don't get stressed as much. When yeast don't get stressed as much, they don't produce as much fusel alcohols, as many phenols, or as many off flavors like diacetyl or acetaldehyde. So having a lot of yeast is a really good thing. And 
I think pretty much all home brewers know this. Um, but if there's a still a big problem in home brewing, it's that most home brewers under pitch. And I think it's, you know, where it breaks down to the profession versus a hobby. This is a hobby. When it comes down to, you know, I have a chance to brew on Saturday morning, I brew on Saturday morning. I don't always know Thursday night in time to make a starter. So when it comes to the, you know, the list of, you know, things, the checklist of home brewers, you know, we got the right hops, you know, I got all the the equipment out, the thermostat is working, but then once it comes down to yeast, even though we know it's the most important part of our beer, we often kind of fall short. And that's because of the time that you need ahead of your brew day to get the starter ready. We don't always have kind of advance notice. We don't have a free three hours, 12 to 48 hours in advance to make the beer. Sometimes you find out, you know, Saturday morning, hey, I can brew a beer tonight. I can brew a beer tomorrow morning. You barely have enough time to get all your equipment out and clean, plus get into the shop to get in your ingredients. Let them alone basically make a mini batch of beer in order to culture up your yeast ahead of time. So when you're decided that you can't make a starter because you're brewing soon, you have a couple options. The first is to use dried yeast, which is great. You're getting two and a half times the cells because in a liquid yeast, you only get about 100 billion. And again, in a dry yeast, you're getting 250 billion cells. So using dried yeast is a quick and kind of the standard option. I always keep two or three different dried yeast in my refrigerator at home so that if I get a kind of chance to impulse brew, I have something ready to go. The problem with dry yeast is, is there's only about 10 to a dozen strains available. So there's just not the variety. If you look at just Y yeast, you have about like 50 strains available year round, where I think they have almost 100 total in their yeast bank with different private collection ones that they'll, you know, release every four months. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot more liquid yeast out here. The next option is to, to get that 250 billion cells, use two to three packs of liquid yeast, but the liquid yeast is already double the price of a dry yeast. Now you're putting two to three liquid yeast in there. Um, if I make a German Pilsner, I'm taking $18 worth of ingredients and putting on top of it um, $21 worth of yeast. So it's not really economical for homebrewing. You're spending most of your money on your yeast. Um, also, people who are doing big IPAs, um, this gets into a big problem because you're pitching three packs on a yeast where, like, the starting gravity is 85 points, and you're already spending, you know, like $25 on hops. So now you're spending 50 bucks on, you know, malt or on yeast on hops, and you haven't even got to grain yet. So it can get really you know, kind of expensive. And kind of the third option, which we often do, is just under pitch. Um, you tend to get a little bit estuary of a beer. You're going to be worried about it, especially in the first 48 hours, trying to see, make sure it takes off and starts fermenting. You might get a little bit of yeast lag because it's going to do that budding phase and it's going to do it inside the beer. And that's where a lot of your off flavors are going to kind of show up. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to use liquid yeast, you want to make a starter, and they're really easy. We've done shows on starters before, and we talked about how you want to take 100 grams of dried malt extract to one liter of water, boil it, let it cool, place it in a sanitized vessel, add your yeast, and aerate over the next 12 to 48 hours uh, to in order to jump up the yeast. Yeast in an anaerobic environment have a hard time making new cell membranes, but they produce alcohol and CO2. Wonderful. In an aerobic environment, they can easily produce cell membranes, they can rapidly bud, and they do produce some off flavors. So thus the idea is 
get the yeast to bud, get them go through that basically lag phase in another vessel where you can take off those off flavors. So after the 12 to 48 hours, you simply pour it into the beer and you're moving. So this isn't always an easy option for you, but there's a couple other options or a couple of tricks that people do to try to get their starters ready ahead of time. And the first one that's becoming um, very popular, and there are some places where you can buy this as a pre-made product, but canned wort. So you can buy it online. It will come in beer cans. It's pasteurized wort in a can. When you want to make a starter, you sanitize your Erlenmeyer flask, sanitize your growler, and you pour it into the starter and pitch your yeast and done. No boiling, no cooling. You know, this is something that can take you two to three minutes before you go to bed if you're trying to brew the next day and you'll have a starter going. Um, the problem again with these pre-made starters is they're expensive. Uh, they're anywhere from five to ten dollars depending on the size and the packaging and the shipping and how many you order. Um, so again, it's pretty much the same price as buying another package of yeast. But you can make these yourself and it's actually fairly easy if you have a pressure canner. So the first step is to make your starter solution. So you don't actually have to boil it. You can take your DME, you can take some room temperature or warm water, uh, put it into a vessel and just shake it without boiling it and stirring it. Just shake it into the vessel. Now pour it into all of your canning jars. Once you pour it into the canning jars, Put them into the rack in your canning pot, fill them up over an inch of the lid, uh, put the lid on, and slowly apply the heat. You're going to get your protein break, you're going to get your pasteurization as you build pressure, as you build up heat, as you pasteurize it. Um, once it's come to a boil, put your weight on or you know close your uh, you know expunging or expunding valve, whichever your pressure cooker has, and let it boil for about 15 minutes. Turn off the heat. Um, if I have any experience from canning, this is where I can give it. Walk away. You're really excited. You want to be handling their, these cans. They're at their most fragile point, and if they're going to break, it's probably going to be now. Mm -hmm. Walk away. They're sealed. They're going to seal up in the inside the pot. Walk away. Let them cool down to room temperature. And then when you come back, you have all of these nice, cheap, pre-made cans of wort that you can use to make a starter anytime. And you can stack these up in the basement. They don't have to be kept in the refrigerator. Although I have to admit, I always keep mine in the refrigerator to reduce uh, oxidation. And but they don't have to, but you just choose to anyway? I just choose to, yeah. It's also a safe place in my basement. It's in the refrigerator. Stuff in the refrigerator doesn't get knocked over, doesn't get flooded. Um, so the refrigerator is just a safe place in my basement. So mm -hmm. I keep them in there, and then whenever I'm ready to brew, I just pour it out into a flask, just like you would the canned wort, pitch my yeast on top, put on my tin foil, and go to bed and let it do its job. Okay. And so doing this a little bit of pre-work, and, and usually you make these like eight at a time, that can get you through a whole six months of brewing. So you can have all your starters ready to go uh, all from one night's work. Um, so... It's fairly easy. And I, now I have to admit, and everybody online seems to be doing the pre-mix on the uh, the DME. So they mix the DME cold. I do actually boil and separate my can starters. So I take that protein away so I don't have to worry about trub bro uh, breakdown. Uh, it also makes it a little bit cleaner during the canning process and allows me to reuse some of the lids because I don't get as much protein kind of blasting up into the lid. So I would advocate pre-boiling the starter, letting it separate, letting the proteins all settle, taking the clear kind of wart off top, and then canning and pasteurizing that. Um, but these are a great option if you really like to use liquid yeast, but you 
don't really know when you're going to be brewing. Okay. So there's another option that you can do with a starter, and I do this probably more often than not. Um, you can make a starter early and you can keep it in the fridge. I feel like a lot of brewers don't know this. So they always feel like they're making the starter the night before, two days before, trying to get it done before they go to work. Um, I end up doing it earlier in the week. While this isn't really the best option, um, if you're going to be using liquid yeast and you're going to be, um, brewing big beers, I think it's kind of a necessity. And I always talk about how I would rather have an infection appear months down the road than have a beer that's phenolic and um, kind of slippery day one. So if you have a bad beer where the yeast have kind of made off flavors, that's going to be day one. It's really not going to go away. If you get a little bit of Lactobacillus Britannomyces in there, you might start to notice some funk or some kind of tartness building up weeks, months down the road. And by the time we get to weeks, months down the road, most of that beer for me is already gone. So I'm sure that I have infections in some of my beers that I never see coming. Now, if I'm doing like a barley wine or if I'm doing um, some type of beer that I know I'm going to be aging for a while, I do tend to kind of keep a very sanitary process. But if I'm making my draft beer for home, I'm not worried too much about subtle infections. The beer just doesn't last as long. So when you make your starter, you can take it and you can put it into the fridge. And for the next 48 hours, you will not lose any cell content. So you can trust that as a just full starter, um, pitch it into the beer. After 48 hours, you will start to lose cells, but it's very, very slowly. And you can actually go to uh, YU's website and Mr. Malty, and they'll give you an idea of under which conditions and how many cells you're losing, losing over a certain time. So they'll, they'll ask, you know, how many cells basically you had to begin with, what temperature was it stored at, how many cells you have less. But the loss is very, very slow. Um, so often what I'll do is on, we'll say, Sunday night, if I know I'm going to be brewing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'll make my starter and I'll pitch the yeast Sunday night. It will work for the next 12 to 48 hours, and after 48 hours, I take it, I cap it with a little bit of cling wrap, and then I put it into the refrigerator, and it sits there for the next two to three days until I'm ready to brew. When I'm ready to brew, I think I take it out of the refrigerator, I pour the now clear liquid off the top, because that's where all the acetaldehyde, that's where all my diacetyl is, that's where all my fuchsial alcohol is, um, that's where all the uric acid is, um, and I pour that off, and... I have nice, clean yeast ready to go, and I just pitch that into my beer. Um, I do tend to use foam stoppers when I'm doing this because they tend to uh, kind of keep out the fruit flies and keep out any dust a little bit better than the tin foil while allowing oxygen in. Um, and I do like this uh, cling wrap over a um, stopper when using the Erlenmeyer flask because I found when putting the Erlenmeyer flask with a solid stopper into the fridge, I've either sucked the stopper into the Erlenmeyer flask or cracked the Erlenmeyer flask as everything condenses. So you do want to be a little bit careful. And yes, if you've had a starter in the fridge for, you know, four days, three days, you really can't trust it as perfectly sanitary. Um, but it's really going to make a great beer and it's going to be a better beer in the first couple weeks than it would if you had only pitched one pack of liquidies. So I think it's well worth your while to do the starter ahead of time. Um, even if you can't give the starter kind of its prime or its best case scenario, by only pitching a single pack of liquid yeast, you're really putting your beer at a disadvantage. Seems like the biggest problem with this is 
I mean, not problem, but the timing is the, to have the presence of mind that I'm going to brew on Friday. I got to make this on Sunday in the fridge on Wednesday, like to put it all together like that. Yeah, no, and, and it's because it's a hobby. We, we do this when we have time. And so you don't always have the schedule of, oh, Monday I'm doing a starter. You know, Tuesday we're crushing grain. On Wednesday we're going to throw this, you know, batch into the fermenter like they would at a commercial brewery where you have people there to, you know, it, whose job it is to make sure every part of the process is done to a T and done timely. Yeah. You know, you work eight hours a day, you might spend an hour commuting, you know, you might want to sleep in there too. So when it comes down to it, having the two hours to make a starter, you know, on Thursday or Friday night ahead of your brew is just not always an option. Um, I often tell people in the store that you'll see instructions that are five days, three days, 10 days. In my brewery, in my basement, everything happens in seven-day increments Mm -hmm. because I always end up doing this stuff on the weekend. I never have time during the week. So everything is dry hopped for a minimum or maximum of seven days. You know what I mean? Starters prepared seven days in advance. If I'm going to, you know, set up my equipment, it's going to be on Sunday and then I'll use it next Saturday. But everything, and I think I find this is true for a lot of people in the hobby, everything happens in seven days because that's when your free time is. That's when you actually have a chance to sit around. Is there a market or anything, any way it would happen where you'd you know, we talk about how something of convenience, everything is convenience versus time spent versus like where starters would be sold. Yeah. I mean, you see it. And like I said, you're seeing them online, but okay. you're only seeing them from the big, but it's major... gotta be, it's gotta be fresh. Like you've got to know that it's going to get there in time. And well, if it's well pasteurized, if you have a little bit of hops or sorbic acid in what's your starter should prevent it from oxidizing. So you should be able to set this, you know, down in the basement for a while. But it's still, it's there is still a small amount of oxygen in there. There's still going to be some breakdown. So, yeah, I would say six months. You know what I mean? If I haven't used one of these can starters by six months, uh, if it starts to um, have any color change or if I see, see that the lid is popping up because it should have negative pressure on it in the can, if you see that the lid's popping up or if it's lost its seal, don't yeah. use it or don't use it without repasteurizing it at least. But you'd recommend starting your own rather than doing that. Yeah, because if you get together with a friend, say if your kegerators are full, God bless, um, and you want something else to do on a you know a Sunday morning, get together with a couple homebrew friends and make bulk starters. Because like I said, there is a product out there, canned wort, and they are sold um, by a lot of the big homebrew shops. And I'm mentioning them because they're really just not economically there. So I can tell you about them because probably you'll go and look at them and say, hmm, and then not buy them. Yeah. Um, and I just I don't think it's... Um, you know, it's like mail ordering single beers. Like you really better want that beer. I right. don't really want any canned starter that bad to mail order it. So I'll make it myself. Um, but again, we always stress on this so that, you know, go ahead and throw whatever you want into the brew pot. You know, pumpkin, yams, you know, strawberries, whatever fruit will help you get it in there. But when it comes to yeast, this is where it gets pretty straight cut and dry. You need enough cells or else they're going to get stressed and those off flavors are going to show right from day one in your beer. All right. Well, that's about uh, all the time we have. We're ending our show on starter packs and whether or not you're going to get things uh, rolling ahead of time because, I mean, it just takes that little bit of preparation. So if you know you're going to brew, and you can tell the difference. You'd be able to tell the difference on the same recipe, the same beer, Oh yeah, what the difference is. Night and day. Night and day. Um, There's been a lot of experiments. I've seen a lot of homebrew. I think there was one between Stone and Rogue where they switched warts 
and they did their propagation and their fermentation temperatures and their yeast on each other's flagship beers and then served them at the brewery and nobody knew the difference. Wow. Meaning that above um, recipe, and, and they brewed the beer, they actually made the wort at each other's brewery and shipped wort to each other, um, not beer, so that above process above ingredients it's that yeast. the yeast made the biggest difference as far as what the quintessential flavors in the beer were all right well that'll do it for us today happy saturday enjoy the heat if that's your thing yeah this is niagara traditions just brew it on espn 1520 you've been listening to just brew it brought to you by niagara tradition home brew whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.